This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to Episode 90. Well, that's a tough question. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. So how many times have you responded that way when your kids ask a question that you feel slightly uncomfortable or maybe <laughs> don't know how to answer? Hmm. Don't you feel like we said that a lot? Well, that's a good question. Really yeah, meaning by some time. <laughs> this is a really, really difficult question, especially in the world today. Right, Daniel? Mm, yeah, I can't even count the number of times we've had to do that <laughs> right. at our dinner table. Yes, and that's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? We always talk on our podcast that it's important to have those tough conversations. And it especially is important to allow our kids have safe space in their own home, around their dinner table, in the car, wherever you're having those conversations, to ask questions so that you know what's going on in keeping those communication lines open. If they feel like they're asking questions and you're uncomfortable or you're changing the subject or you just don't feel like you have the answers but you're not quite saying that, they're going to go ask their friends. They're going to go ask Google. They're going to go find different answers to the questions. And you may not know what they figure out because kids are great at finding their own interpretations to stuff, even if it's wrong. Yeah. And as parents, we need to keep the communication lines open. And that's why being still that's why being present even if you don't know the answers <laughs> and admitting them right? yes admitting and then also really responding with empathy so that we can teach our kids empathy is such a important life skill so that's why on episode 90 we want to talk about how we can teach our kids about empathy compassion and a tough subject that I guess has been going around for the last couple years, even more so, but especially highlighted in the news about Syria, how to talk to our kids about refugees. Yeah, and what you'll discover on the episode is that talking about the refugee issue is going to help you teach your kids empathy. It's going to help you grow in empathy. I know it's helped us as we walked through this book by Sarah Parker Rubio. So we're going to be interviewing Sarah about a children's book that she wrote called Far From Home. Let me just read you a little bit on the back. Follow a boy and his family as they say goodbye to their home and travel to a new land and a new life far away from all they know and love. Far From Home brings hope to an impossibly difficult situation and gives a face to the nameless millions who have been uprooted from their homes. I think that's the power of story, right, Daniel? Sometimes... We want to have these conversations with our children, especially if they're younger, but we don't know how to use language. We don't know how to use terms that they will understand and that we can come across as parents who really want to be at their level. And so I think that's the beautiful aspect of stories. I know even in kindergarten, Macarius's teacher uses a lot of stories to teach principles because they get it. They are able to project themselves into these stories and feel the emotions that these characters are feeling. So Sarah Parker Rubio does an amazing, amazing job of taking her readers, no matter what age, into the story of a refugee family moving from their own home and finding hope in a new land 
and also discussing the issues of that, the complications, the heartache of leaving what you know is home behind. Yeah, so all the show notes are going to be at inbetween.org slash episode 89. But as you're listening to this, if you haven't listened to episode 87, you're going to want to go back and do that as well. Because in that episode, we talk about how to create a guiding statement for your family all through story. Because story shapes us and narrative shapes us as you'll discover in this interview. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. You wrote this incredibly beautiful book. And I say this the way that like it came in the mail and our children opened it and they literally their eyes were wide open. They're like, without even opening it. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just the front cover was so engaging. And the book that you wrote is called Far From Home. So could you share with us some of your background and your story that inspired you to write this beautiful children's book? Um, Sure. So, um, It's really, I was thinking about this, and it's really kind of a lot of different pieces, I think, that sort of came together, Um, just different pieces of my story. And I'm a third culture kid, which um, is kind of what we call somebody who grew up in a culture different from their parents. Mm. Um, So I was uh, a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries, and we spent time in Costa Rica and um, in Ecuador and two different cities there. I spent a lot of time. you know, kind of packing up our lives and saying goodbye and mm. moving to a different place. And that's, um, you know, something that's been really formative. And I also got the gift of becoming aware of different cultures and different languages and different kind of ways of doing life. And also kind of aware of sort of the relative, um, like the relative wealth of the global North in comparison to the global South. Right. Um, that was kind of just something that my parents didn't really have to tell me about. It was just something that I was given the opportunity to observe. So that's just kind of always been, as far as I can remember, sort of part of my consciousness. Mm. Um, And then after, so I came back to the States uh, for college. And then after college, I worked very briefly at World Relief, which is um, a wonderful refugee resettlement agency that works throughout the U.S. And I was only there for seven months because um, I was a receptionist and I'm highly introverted and I was a terrible receptionist. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) so it wasn't, the job wasn't a great fit, but I love the organization. And just, I learned so much in just that brief time about, um, just like how the experience of refugees being resettled in the United States. And I worked over on the immigration services. So by the time I interacted with the clients, they were further along um, in their resettlement process. So they were to the point where they were able to apply for immigration, immigration status in the U.S., so residency and citizenship. And so I was able to see um, just how a lot of the clients had rebuilt their lives. And um, I remember one woman was a nurse in her native country and and came over and had to completely redo all her education. Oh, yeah. um, and like by the time we were helping her with her citizenship, she had gotten her degree again and like working full time that entire time. And I was just so um, just amazed at her resilience and her willingness to, I was just thinking like, oh, I would hate, like I was just right out of college and I was thinking like, gosh, I would hate to have to get my degree over again. Like, right. Yep. Um, so you know, years later, um, we start hearing all these, you know, news stories about Syria and about other countries and, um, you know, just all this stuff that's happening. And I just remember thinking like, you know, by this time I had my own sons and just thinking about 
why do my sons go to bed safely every night, um, mm. you know, in a safe home, in a safe neighborhood, even in um, circumstances that are even so different from like what my husband grew up in. My husband grew up in Columbia um, in a fairly low income neighborhood. And just thinking about like, even how, you know, just the circumstances that led him and me together. And, and that's actually another connection. Uh, Colombia has actually been a host country in recent years to many more refugees um, than mm. the United States. They've oh, been receiving really? I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of refugees from Venezuela, uh, which is going through a big humanitarian crisis. Um, so they've gotten over a million in the past several years. But really, you know, at the heart of it all is, is families. It's mothers yeah. and fathers yeah. mm-hmm. and children. And I just was really thinking about, you know, what would it be like to have to, you know, tell your child that we have to leave everything that you know and love and we have to start over, you know, in the midst of many cases, uh, conflict and trauma and, and loss Definitely. Um, that I can't, yeah. you know, imagine. Yeah. You know, you, you explaining that and, and before we hit record, we were just talking about just moving around and uh, for us and, you know, for you and how you've been now in the same place uh, in the Chicago area for 10 years. Uh, so 10 years. Right? Well, same house for 10 years. We've been in the oh, Chicago area for uh, since for about 17 years, almost 17 years. Okay. this year. Yeah. Okay, so what's what's fascinating about that, uh, both Christina's and uh, my parents immigrated in the 70s to Canada. We were both born in Canada, but uh, just aware of that side of everything where mm-hmm. it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, everything is peachy keen. It's 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 great here and it's great rest of the world. We, we kind of grew up with a sense of, okay, well, is this really our home? Is it not our right. home? And, and having heard your story growing up as a third culture kid, it's just, it, it's kind of normal, right? It's normal to be aware of the fact that this is, I mean, we're actually living in, we're, we're, we're some of the most wealthy people right. in the entire world, just by virtue of having a, a, a roof over our head. Three meals or more. Yes, three right. meals. Yes. That we try to remind our kids. But I was just noticing yesterday night uh, before going to bed, um, I was just flipping through the news and I hadn't looked at the news for a couple of days. And I was, I was just struck by the fact of how much is going on mm. in the world that just by not looking at the news for one day, how easy it is to get disconnected and get sucked up into the freezing cold of right. Canadian winters <laughs> and, you know, the day in, day out of our church life and and of everything that we do. It's so easy to just forget that everything, you know, just what's going on around the world. And and the subtitle of your book is a, a story of loss refuge and hope Mm -hmm. so um, as much as this was a children's book for me i was so struck by the depth um in 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 the story in the way that you shared the story in the way that you just kind of weaved it in and through the entire book from cover to cover i was just struck because as an adult i was so moved by the way that you explained this this such a complex social issue uh, not only to me as an adult, but to children. So, so talk to us about that. Um, how do you go about crafting this such an engaging picture book that explains this social issue to children? Yeah, well, I mean, I was just really writing that as a mom, and I was thinking about you know my my sons, and just thinking about how would I, you know, how would I explain that to them? And I was also thinking about it, um, just really thinking what would it, you know, what would that be like? Like I've 
you know, I've taken children on international travel and I know how stressful that is, even when like you have all your papers in order and you have money in the bank and you have family waiting for you on each end. Um, When we were getting my husband's residency here in the United States, like just waiting through the immigration process in the U.S. is so complicated and like oh, it's we know. so yeah, hard we know. Yeah. <laughs> and they try to make it really feel like you don't belong oh, yeah. do, yes. right? <laughs> well and oh, they, yeah. it's so interesting to see the way yeah just the different way that you can be treated um yeah like even based on how well you speak english um you know when we go into That's the true. offices like just seeing the way that people treat us as opposed to the way they maybe treat the family in line behind us and i was just thinking like we were yeah. doing like the most simple thing probably that you can do we were renewing his green card last year and I was just remembering like, you know, afresh, like this is so hard. (laughs) Like it's, I, you know, have a college degree and I speak English fluently and I know how to use a computer and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here. And like, (laughs) it's just true. It's Mm. insane. Um, So just kind of, but you know, and when, obviously when you don't speak the language and when you, you know, when you've come out of, um, you know, a traumatic situation when you maybe have family members that you either have lost or you don't know where they are, mm-hmm. you know, and you're trying to deal with this, you know, in the midst oh, yeah, of that, so. just how much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was just, you know, I was really writing the book thinking about um, the connections, the connections that, you know, even though we can't, maybe many of us cannot imagine that level of trauma, we can think about, well, what would it be like? We can think about, we can make the connection from an experience that we've had. And use our imagination to get to a place of empathy and compassion. And so I was mm. just really focusing on the connections. I was just focusing on this is a this is a little kid. These are his parents. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they love each other. His parents are trying to shield him as much as they can from what's going on. Um, you know, he's trying to make sense of this, um, the situation that makes no sense to him, you know, and and just really where it started for me was just thinking about the little world of kids, you know, like their worlds are tiny and precious and, and, Mm. you know, they've got their toys, they've got their room, they've got, you know, the people that they love and that love them. And so that's really where I started was that, um, and you, even that opening line of the book that's been there from the beginning of like, just thinking about that room that he left behind. And that was kind of the image that I started with. Yep, that was powerful. I'm just looking at yeah. the book now and even the picture where you're showing about in his room and then there's the picture of the bunny that he has and he's holding his own literal bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even the part where the boy asks like, um, are, are my grandma and grandpa going to come? Yeah. Right? Are my friends coming? And then just the, um, just the, I, I can picture the heartache as a, as a dad or a mom being like, well, not now, may- maybe later, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so that struggle of as parents coming from wanting to, you know, shield our children from hurt, but also as adults not really knowing, like we actually don't know. Right. <laughs> we don't know if they're going to be coming and joining us. We hope so, but we're not really sure. Um, so as you were writing this, Sarah, in your own life, as you've been processing, you know, being a third culture kid, um, marrying someone who's not from um, America and so on and so forth, like, how do you feel like story? How do you feel like narrative can help both kids and adults learn empathy and compassion for those who are not, you know, maybe surrounding their their everyday lives? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the stories give us the opportunity to like strengthen our imagination and make, um, help us bridge 
the the gap between our experience and someone's experience that may be very different. Um, it gives us the opportunity to visit a, a place we may never get to visit in person or, you know, to really live inside the head of, of a different person and imagine what mm-hmm. it would be like um, to be them, which is why, I mean, you know, what's been going on in kids lit for years now, this push for diversity is so important. It, I mean, it's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so easy for us, I think to say, well, you know, I can't imagine what that's like. And that's kind of a distancing statement because, I mean, you know, maybe no, you can't really know what it's like, but you can imagine if you try right. enough to get to a place of empathy and a place of, you know, of being able to to see this person whom you may feel is very different and and find those points of connection and and see their humanity. And I think that, you know, empathy and caring is really seen the humanity of another person right? and being open to their experience, being willing to receive their story and being willing to put yourself in their shoes as much as you can. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber and author of the Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books, available wherever books are sold. That's so helpful because as parents, one of the roles for us, one of the responsibilities uh, that we talk about on our podcast is the importance of raising adults, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not just trying to shelter your kids. And there's a lot of junk and hardship and pain and everything in this world. And and I, I think we're actually doing a disservice to our children if we try to shield them. Now, obviously, there's overexposure right. and <laughs> there's appropriate levels of uh, education and, and revelation and all that that we need to do with our kids. But as it relates to just the global issue of refugees, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's so important that our children understand that and 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 understand it at a level an, at an age that's appropriate for right. them. For at our church, for example, we every year um, we're sponsoring refugees. Mm. Um, in into Canada and and I mean I even think that's this is way before we ever came because I'm even thinking decades and decades ago uh, when the Vietnam War was happening oh, wow. and the number of the number of Vietnamese that were sponsored by our children and are now decades later right living thriving lives with kids who are born in Canada and I, I mean there's just there, when you look at it from that perspective and you're like wow look at the transformation that can happen, That's not right. just with this one refugee, this one individual mm-hmm. who has lost their home, but to, through generations and generations and generations through this one act of mercy and grace and kindness. So uh, I guess the question is, how would you um, or what advice would you give our listeners who are like, well, we've never really talked about their refugee right. issue with our children um, what advice would you give them in, in in the way that they can use your book to teach their kids about refugees? Sure. Uh, well, I really wanted the book to be very entry level for kids. Um, I mean, there are a lot there are a lot of great picture books about the refugee experience, um, but I really wanted this one to be 
a starting point, you know, for kids who like mine, who had never, I mean, when I got the advanced copy of the book, what's the first time that we had had a conversation mm. about it? I mean, at any length. And because I kind of wanted to, to see, you know, how it would work in my own family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did, I wanted it to be, you know, really entry level. And I, and I do want to say to, I mean, I'm a protective mom. So, you know, I get that sometimes we look at a picture book and we're like, oh gosh, that seems like a really difficult topic. Like, I don't want right. to, you know, I don't want my kids to be scared. I don't want them to be, you know, traumatized. So I definitely wrote, you know, to be a gentle introduction um, while still being honest and, you know, honoring, um, you know, the very real uh, trauma that is experienced by so many people. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's very basic. It's very gentle. It's very, um, just kind of explaining on a very basic level that of what a refugee is, it's, you know, what it means to have to leave your home. So I think it's a really good starting point. And I think that, I mean, it's been so interesting to me, just the different, um, the different connections that different kids that I've heard about have made and kind of what, um, I mean, I was a little bit afraid that kids would be afraid of the book or that they, they would find it kind of upsetting, but like, I've heard from a lot of people like, Oh, my kids love it. They want to read it over and over. And I'm like, Oh really? And like, I think that they, yeah. that's our kids oh, too. <laughs> Sarah, it's, I mean, honestly, you've done such an incredible job with this because not only are you talking about the real issue of the refugee crisis, but there's hope. Yeah. Right? You're not just, you're not just leaving and, and ending the book on a, you know, everything happily and then happily ever after, right? right? Here's the issue. And look, this this family, they're now settled. And look, that's great. And everything's great. I mean, I, there's just there's this line that just, it, it fills me with so much emotion, right? It's like, but I think, right? The food here is different. Yeah. The weather's different. The people are different. But I think I will find new friends here. Like, it would have been so easy for you to just say, the food's different. But you know what? I found great friends. Everything is awesome. Yeah. At least I have food. Like, you know, yes. must be thankful for everything I have. And yeah. And, and But there's hope because you're like, and, and sometimes I miss my old home. Yeah. But when I feel sad, I remember the story the old lady told me and I remember that I'm not alone. There's just so many layers of 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 depth and and actually of hope that you've done in this book too. Well, and I think that's so key. I think that's why, you know, we need to as adults that's what we need to bring to this issue and all of the complex issues that we're facing. We need to bring hope. Like hope is our armor because I think that especially in our western culture when we're faced with something difficult, we either want to fix it somehow or we want to ignore it. And I think that's, you know, when you kind of hear about people who have gone through grief and sort of the painful responses they get, I think that comes from a place of either trying to fix it or trying to, you know, sort of minimize it in a some way so we don't have to face how terrible, you know, so when, you know, you lose a loved one and people are like, well, they're in a better place, uh, you know, they don't want to be there with your grief, right? So they want to like say something to make it seem like, oh, well, it's not that bad. And, you know, that it's so easy to fall into that tendency to say like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, you know, what can I do to fix it? And so some, you know, some of us will just kind of be like, well, okay, well, here's the policies that, you know, we need to implement and, <laughs> uh, you know, and here's the things we got to do. And then some of us will be like, ah, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, right. But I think that when we have hope, when we say, you know what, we can't do anything about this. Uh, you know, we can't fix it by ourselves. Um, but everyone, every one of us can do something. Mm-hmm. We can all, and, you know, some of us will have the opportunity to interact with um, people who have been through the refugees experience. Some of us won't maybe in our daily lives. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. 
And we just need, you know, we need to remember at the end of the day, we are not holding this. Um, our God, God will hold it. And I think if mm-hmm. we come and we yeah. say, you know what, God, you will hold this. Help me, you know, put your hands under mine and help me hold what's mine to hold. Um, then we can come with hope and then we can come without fear. And then right. we can receive, you know, these stories from friends or neighbors that we may have the chance to meet or, you know, even people far away. Yeah. No, I love, um, Sarah, how you're, you're saying with hope, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think there's um, an element of courage too yes. as parents to yes. be able to have these stories. And I always mm. think with courage, you need vulnerability. Yes. And um, vulnerability of not, of coming before our kids and being like, I don't have all the answers. Yes, absolutely. This is a really, really complicated question and really, really complicated situation that we will not be able to fix, you know, just in a day or whatnot. Yeah. But I think as we come before our children and are courageous to bring it up, also vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and just come before God. And that's just an opportunity to turn our eyes not on despair, but on hope and on God, yes. um, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And through that, that our hearts would be open to be able to see because we might have refugees living, you know, two doors down from right. us, but we don't know. But to be able to see um, what's going on around us and then be able to to pray for them or be able to, you know, take next steps or even just listen to their story, mm-hmm. right? How powerful it yes. is to ask questions and want to sit with them and hear that, yeah, it's difficult. And, you know, coming to a different country where the food is different, that is difficult. Um, but to be able to maybe just sit with them in hope as well for for their families and for, the, you know, making new friends or even just getting uh, used to the culture. Mm-hmm. So I did want to talk about one thing, because I know there's, um, in our podcast family, there's people who have moved away from their own country, Mm -hmm. maybe not through refugees uh, situation, but just have moved away for other situations, maybe a job or missionary work. And I love what you wrote, this dedication to your mom. It says, for mama, thank you for making it home wherever we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you can take some time to talk about that just as from a child perspective and coming in and remembering how your mom made it feel at home no matter where you were how as our listeners how can our listeners maybe feeling the same way not feeling even at home where they are right Mm. now how can they help their children feel at home sure yeah I mean that was um you know a lot of the things that the parents say in the book are things that my parents said to me you know that I remember them saying to me at different um different times um Yeah, I just, you know, I remember my mom saying that. I mean, she probably said it a lot as I was growing up. Um, You know, I just, I have so many memories of her packing our things. I think that, you know, usually that would be kind of the task that would fall mostly on her shoulders. Yeah. And I just, you know, in the midst of that, watching her, you know, pack up our life again, I I think, you know, every time that we'd be, you know, in that scene, I, I remember her saying, you know, wherever we go, we're to, when we're together, that's home. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it's really important when you have um, children in transition to really emphasize for them, you know, the things that are not going to change, you know, our love for them as parents is not going to change. Um, and I, you know, I just remember like, you know, my mom would kind of, would try to cook the same things that she cooked, um, even though mm-hmm. the ingredients were different. And I know it was difficult um, sometimes for her to find things that, you know, or she had to make, you know, things from scratch that maybe she would have gotten packaged before or something. She would make the same food. Like she would make that effort. Um, you know, she learned how to 
bake cakes at high altitude. Um, <laughs> just so many, th- and so many things that probably that I don't even know about to this day that she, I just remember she would really focus on, on, you know, setting up our home. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we would get to a place, I mean, she would unpack really quickly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she would get, you know, the familiar things out and just really make, you know, we lived in all kinds of different houses and apartments and stuff. And I remember as a child, they all felt like home pretty quickly. And I think that was probably a lot okay. due to, to her efforts. Um, and yeah, just kind of, you know, what, what routines, what rhythms, you know, can you, can you make, um, that are the same or even, you know, if they need to be adapted a bit. Um, and I think too, like, just if we just encourage our kids to, you know, not be afraid of, of their emotions. I think that a lot of times, you know, we can really sort of internalize our kids' emotions and, you know, think that somehow they're reflecting on us or that, you know, they kind of stir up our own insecurities maybe about, Mm -hmm. did we make the right choice or, you know, is this the right thing to do? Um, But I think if we can, you know, have the courage to just receive what they're feeling um, and again, not try to fix it necessarily, not try to minimize it, but just be there with them and just say, you know what? Yes, I know you miss, you know, your grandma or, you know, your friends or whatever. And that's hard. And I'm sorry without necessarily trying to say like, well, everything's going to be fine and, you know, you'll make mm-hmm, new friends mm-hmm. and don't worry. And so I, I think, I mean, those are simple things, but I think it goes a long way um, just to help kids through those transitions. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And we were talking about the Enneagram a little bit before. Yes, and I love the Enneagram. For you as a four, <laughs> for you as a four, I mean, this is really, um, I can see even in the way that you're talking and, and we're talking about emotions and empathy and compassion and how we can help our kids. I mean, that is the gift of the four uh, to the rest of us because for Christina and I as threes, I mean, we're just like, oh, you're going to be okay. Let's get, you know, let's start a new life. Next and- goodies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly yeah but but you you as a person i mean obviously your book as well but sarah you as a person um with the four i mean i mean this is this is such a gift it's such a gift to us as threes it's such a <laughs> gift to to parents it's such a gift to children because uh just because christina and i are one way doesn't mean that our kids are that right. way too and and i think it's important uh just in raising children that we're helping them be aware of their emotions and and understand that because it's as much a part of them as is their cognitive side. Well, and really, I mean, you know, the one of the great commandments that God gave us is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And mm-hmm. but yes. you know, to first love our neighbor, we need to love ourselves. And if we are, I think, if our children are, oh, you know, adept at identifying their own emotions and adept at you know receiving and honoring and kind of living with their own emotions, they will be better. Mm-hmm at doing that for others as well. So I think, you know, that's a really, it's really important. It's really important to say like, you know, it's okay to like, there is a space for you to feel what you're feeling. Obviously there are appropriate and inappropriate expressions of emotion. And, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we that's something we start working with on our, with our kids pretty much, you know, from day one. Um, yeah. You know, it's appropriate for an infant to scream her lungs out, not so much for, you know, a five-year-old. <laughs> um. <laughs> But, you know, when I think it's important when we're teaching them, you know, how it's okay and not okay to express themselves that we don't, you know, inadvertently teach, you know, some emotions are not okay to express at all. 
Yeah. So last question, Sarah. What is your hope for those who have the book? What is your hope for the readers, the families, the children, the parents, for those who read Far From Home? Sure. So I was really thinking about sort of um, two different children as I was um, as I was writing. And so I was thinking about, you know, the child like my own two boys who have grown up in security and um, and who, you know, haven't maybe learned um, what it means to not have that. And then I was also thinking about, you know, the child like, um, like my protagonist, uh, my little boy in the book. And I just, I really wanted um, that child to know that they're not alone. I really wanted that child to, to mm-hmm. see themselves represented, you know, in a book, in beautiful illustrations mm-hmm. to, to show that, you know, what you've been through is important and it matters and, and others have had that same experience and, you know, and, and God understands what that's like too. Um, and then for the, the children like mine, I just, I wanted them, my hope is that they will, um, they will learn what it means to be a refugee that, you know, they will hopefully learn next time they see someone who they don't really understand or that they feel is different from them, that they will learn to, you know, to think about what maybe that person has been through and maybe to understand mm-hmm. that, you know, they're not as different as they might think at first. I honestly cannot thank Sarah enough for writing this book and really providing families with this resource about how to have these tough conversations around refugees. So perhaps you've come to the end of this episode and are feeling really inspired and moved to talk to your kids about the refugee situation, but still feel like you maybe don't have all the tools in the tool belt to be able to do that. So we want to encourage you to go to inbetween.org slash episode 90. That's the show notes for this episode. We have included some blogs and some links written by Sarah about how you can continue this conversation with your kids Mm -hmm. and also as a family, how you can help the refugee crisis. For example, our family was able to help out five families that actually came into Edmonton as refugees. Yeah, this is something that we can all be a part of. For us, when we moved back to Edmonton, our church was in the middle of continuing to sponsor refugee families into Canada. So we were like, well, how can we be a part of this? We had missed the fundraising portion of the of, of the effort. And we were like, oh, but you know, we're, we're moving here. And how about we donate furniture? And how about we give this? And how about we give that? So even as we were doing that, and yes, we were selling things as well on Facebook Marketplace, but other things we were like, hey, kids, we're going to be giving this specifically to the refugee family. And, and then our kids were like, what? what? What's a refugee? And even just small acts like that are able to open the door to communication, keep the communication lines open so that we can raise empathetic children. I think the biggest takeaway from our experience as we are continuing to support refugees is the compassion that we are teaching our children to look outside of their own home, neighborhood, school, outside of their own quote-unquote North American bubble, knowing that we are so blessed, but also that we are called, as the Bible says, to help the widows and orphans. So how can we, as parents, be able to continue to instill that into our children on practical ways, through story, through practical gifts, through talking and creating an environment where we can struggle with 
hard topics I may feel uncomfortable to talk about, but also that we can come to God in prayer when we don't have the answers. Yeah, and just a quick note, be sure to go back to episode 87 if you haven't listened to that yet, because that's where we talk about how to leverage the power of story to create a guiding statement for your family. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Far From Home by Sarah Parker Rubio. We have the links in our show notes, but you can also buy it wherever books are sold. All right. And next week, Christina, what's on the docket? We're going to be talking about what makes love last. All right. We'll catch you guys next week. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bows Podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.